Hello and welcome to Yardy Labrish, a podcast where we provide commentary on social and cultural issues from the perspective of a Caribbean native. So, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and come back with Labrish. Today's episode will take a slightly different format. The podcast will be moderated by O'Shane Brown, my friend, doing his MCTC finals titled Racial Prejudice Advices in the American Culture. So my Yardy Labrish listeners, pull up a chair and listen to what he has to say. Hello, my name is O'Shane Brown and today I'll be moderating this podcast. I am a student at MCTC and this is my final project for my research and composition for change class. In today's podcast, we'll be focusing on the racial prejudice and biases in the American culture. This episode is targeting young white Americans between the ages of 15 and 30 years old who are currently living in the most racially diverse time in America. The goal for this podcast is to help them think differently about racism in our culture. Today, my co-host is my friend, um, Oniki Brown. And yes, just like me, he is a black male immigrant from Jamaica. And so that has given us a different perspective on um, race here in America because we've lived um, somewhere else where our race was never really much of a uh, factor. And coming to America, we have had to learn how to live and maneuver the um all the issues that america has pertaining to race um so i have a few uh topics or points that i'd like to um discuss in terms of racial um prejudices and biases in the american society uh these are the justice system slash policing in education healthcare, housing First, I want to start um, with, I want to start with the racial biases and prejudice in healthcare. And I want to start with a quote uh, from an author, William Sim. Uh, He wrote in his book, The Perspectives of Health Professionals and Patients on Racism in Healthcare. And he, I, He wrote, and I quote, alienation of minorities due to racial supremacism and lack of empathy resulting in inadequate medical treatment. Um, Basically, what he's saying is that uh, usually people of color, minority, when they um, go into the healthcare system for treatment or any of that or for medical assistance, uh, it tends to result in inadequate treatment because of lack of empathy from the medical practitioner. Um, Have you, Aniki, um, ever experienced any of that or have you heard of any stories about somebody who might have, somebody of color, a person of color who might have gone to the doctor or the hospital or urgent care? and felt like they were treated differently 
because of their race. Because I have, I think I have a, heard stories, but you can go ahead and let me know if you've experienced it or heard anything. Hey, O'Shane. Well, personally, I have not experienced so far, luckily, I have not experienced any prejudices um, in the healthcare system for me. My uh, my doctor is an immigrant. She is a European um, woman, um, you know, who is my uh, my general practitioner, my personal doctor. So I guess with the conversations that we have, knowing that she's an immigrant, I'm an immigrant, irrespective of the fact that you know she um, is Caucasian, but the fact that you know we're immigrant, we have that connection that you know we're not a part of the american you know culture so to speak so you know we have that commonality because we're not from here so we have a very good rapport and i feel that her services you know are very genuine and she gives me you know good medical advice and so on and so forth um i read an article where they were examining um medical practice in terms of like scientific research and where it deals with pregnancy and the article that i read um was touching on the topic of the treatment of black women giving birth versus white women giving birth where the statistics um stated that black women are had a higher chance of dying while giving birth due to medical malpractice because chances are they probably haven't given enough um, epidural or any pain medication so them giving birth was a completely different experience from you know um, their Caucasian counterparts and also the article also look at you know the barbaric treatment especially when um, they were doing a c-section you know they wouldn't give in any um, anesthesia they will just go right ahead and slice, you know, the woman's stomach and pull the child out. So they're there not only in labor, feeling contractions and so on and so forth, but the fact that, you know, the doctor, you know, will slice them just right open without any um, anesthesia or anything like that. So the article was looking at that. And actually, I was doing it for uh, my history. I believe I was doing it research for my history course a while back. You know, we were looking at um, women in society, and that came up. I don't remember the exact article that I read, but it was a part of our uh, our course structure. So where healthcare is concerned and racism, that's pretty much my experience and my knowledge that I have. Yes, I I I agree with what you just said, and I did read an art. I didn't read the article, but I saw a ABC News segment on that where black. Um, women who were in labor were seen as being more dramatic and wasn't taken seriously because um, of their pain. Their pain, their um, cry of, for their pain wasn't taken seriously as their white counterparts because there's a stereotype that they're more, that they tend to be more dramatic. And another thing that I read in doing my research about this, um, this topic is I, that a lot of doctors misdiagnose um, black people specifically or people of color but specifically black people um, with uh, diabetes and high pretension or high blood pressure because 
it's um sort of like a um it's 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 an issue in the black community diabetes and and high blood pressure so a lot of doctors just automatically assume that if you're coming if a black person were to come in with um, a particular symptom that could be look like it's coming from uh one of those diseases then they'll before before they even check to make sure that that's what it is they tend to diagnose based on that stereotype like oh it's a black person they're experiencing this symptom it has to be diabetes and in some in many cases that's not what it really is so that is another way another stereotype prejudice or call it biases that black people experience in the healthcare uh, system here in America um, along with um, not having the proper healthcare facilities in the lower income neighborhoods where it tends to have a lot of racial minority living there and health insurance and a whole host of other um, prejudices that we could go into that we don't have the time to today. But we can move on to uh, prejudice and biases in education, racial prejudice and bias in education here in America. And I know you're in school. Obviously, I'm in school. This is done for, this has been done for my uh, school. And I want to start with a quote from uh, the American Psychological psychological association that says black boys as young as 10 were viewed as less innocent than their white peers and this is, happens in school in american school and we know that uh, studies have shown that black kids children are tend to be um seen as older than their actual age and thus they're treated more like adults when they're actual kids. So have you um, experienced any sort of racial prejudices or biases in, in school? I go to school online. <laughs> I don't know what my classmates look like. I ju they just go by name and not everybody upload a photo. I for sure don't have a photo uploaded. Um, I do know what my lecturers look like because they have their um, photos uploaded. Um, but to me, I like, now that I've experienced online classes, I kind of like that because then, in a, in a way, it's kind of anonymous because then if you're not judging by what the person name is, chances are you might not know what their race is. And then if it's like uh, a unisex name, then you don't even know what the gender is to even say, okay, then this person sound like a male or sound like a female, so I will grade accordingly. Or this this name sounds foreign versus, you know, a quintessential, you know, all-American name. So I will grade accordingly. So with me going to school online, I feel that is the best route for me not to experience any form of prejudice from either classmates or teachers because then the the possibilities of them finding out you know my race or my gender is you know impossible unless you know they're gonna really go and look up you know my profile you know to see 
you know if i'm international or if i'm domestic or whatever the case may be so i like that format so for me i'm very glad that i'm not in a classroom setting it works for me being the anti-social person that i am so so far no no racism experience on my end in education here in america oh that's good I would have to say the same. I, If it happened, it wasn't overtly and I couldn't pinpoint. And one of the things is that I am very lucky that I go to a very diverse school, MCTC. Um, it has people from all walks of life, all um, ages or race or um, gender, sexual orientation, socioeconomic um, levels. And so that uh, the teachers there have um, experience working and teaching people from all over the world, um, literally. I I must say that there is there have been issues um, that I have read about, and that is actually one I think might be going to the Supreme Court soon, which is uh, the affirmative action where. People tend to, and we all know what affirmative action is. There's sort of like a, a system that um, ensure that people of color um, have the opportunity to um, get into spaces that they weren't afforded in the past. Not because solely because of their race, but because they are qualified and they're from a racial minority group but they have to be qualified to get those positions and spots to begin with and i brought up affirmative action because i find that when people of color specifically students are very high achievers and they get into institutions that are traditionally for higher achieving students their achievements are discredited uh, by individuals who I would find to be racist, and they're they would they're they would say, "Oh, you only get in because of the color of your skin." And I have um, I have know a few people who were at the medical school at the U of M, um, and I got close to a few of them, and I remember having a conversation because they were. We were talking that I was asking them how many black students were in the class and they at the time I think there was like two one girl she um, it was a black girl and a black guy who was African the girl was African-American and they were saying that joking that they only got in because they were black and that I if I applied for medical school I too could get in and I'm like wow that's first of all that's not a compliment and that's the discrediting these individuals hard work and and, and and great achievement to get in so you find that in the education system there are those um, issues or hurdles that uh, African Americans or black people have to deal with that white people or Asian, Asian people and Latino people have to deal with getting their achievements um, and their hard work discredited because of the color of their skin. And um, yeah, white 
kids are not um, don't have to deal with something those issues I mean where that is concerned I don't I, I, I don't understand why most institutions feel as if they have to you know fulfill like a racial quota and one of my biggest issues um moving here um to america that um till this day i still can't understand when you apply for school when you apply for housing when you apply for a job it says equal opportunity so why is it that it's equal opportunity but yet still they ask for your racial classification on the application forms you know i don't and coming from the caribbean you know coming from jamaica you know where we're applying for something the form specifically says if you're a jamaican citizen or a caricom national or other you know and we do have a multitude of races you know um within the caribbean and within jamaica but if you're a jamaican irrespective of you know your 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 race or your cultural identity the mere fact that you're born in island you're treated as a citizen so when you're filling out application form it just asks if you know you're a citizen of jamaica or a, a caricom member state national or other and then you're going to put your international form so i think where education in america is concerned you know when you look at landmark cases such as brown and the board of education you know which sparked you know the desegregation of school and you know introduced um mixing of you know black and white people into the school system you know i think that those cases a long time ago you know open up the opportunity for black people to get into good schools um go to schools in a better neighborhood because of funding and so on and so forth and you would think that living in 2022 we wouldn't have to have these issues because of cases you know such as brown and board of education that allowed integration you would think that okay a quota shouldn't matter that you need to have x amount of this particular race in your school to be classified as diverse or whatever the case may be if you're gonna accept a student into your school i think it should be based solely on you know their academic portfolio that you know that they're bringing into the institution and race should not have a factor or a bearing whether or not you know people getting into the school and i think that is something that the american government should really look at if they're considering to move towards uh, a system where race is not an issue they need to start going away from racial racial classifications right across the board if we're looking at equal opportunity yes i i agree and next time anybody who might want to be racist or want to find a way to put a person of color down um using the whole affirmative action you need to what you need to know is that the per, the group that benefits most from affirmative action are white females just so you know let's move on to housing and um <laughs> you start laughing sounds like you've had an experience with that no oh my god you've had a you've had a good ride here in america like none 
Um, I have, I have um an experience, but first I just wanna quote give a quote um by the author Michele Dickerson, and he wrote in his book Systematic Racism and Housing, and he wrote, and I quote. While no one can be excluded from excluded from a neighborhood because of their race, no one is forced to live in an economically or racially integrated neighborhood. So basically, basically what he's saying is that you cannot be excluded from a neighborhood because of your you can't be excluded from a neighborhood because of your race, but you can force to live in an economically or racially integrated neighborhood. Um, I'll start with an experience that I've had. You know, there's so many. I wa- okay, I applied for. Uh, I I I I I was looking for a house somewhere to live, and I found a place on Craigslist. And I we were having, <laughs> we had a conversation. We set up a time to meet, with and I showed up to the house without the guy knowing what my race was because we never discussed it. I showed up at the door. He came out. He opened the door. He paused when he saw me. <laughs> he paused when he saw me. And um, so he finally decided to let me into the house. I went to the house. We sat down in the living room. And we were just chit-chatting. And I realized after a point, he wasn't getting up to show me the place. And so I ask him like okay so can i see the place and he's like oh okay let me show you so we went around you know i i was sold on it and so i'm like yes i I will take it uh he told me that there were going to be some a few more people coming to look at it i'm like email me let me know if i get it or not fast forward to about five days after i haven't gotten any email from him i was um i emailed him he told me then that he gave it to someone else. Fast forward to a week and a half after, I saw the same post up on um, Craigslist. I used a different email address to email him about the place. And then that's when he said, oh, yes, it's available. You can come look at it. And when I finally confronted him that, oh, yes, it's me that came and looked at you, told me that somebody else took it. Then his excuse was, I am, you didn't seem, we didn't seem like we could be friends or compatible or something like that. And that's when I realized this man did not want to have, this white man did not want to have a black person living in his house. Um, And this has been an issue for, in America for a long time. But from redlining to the white flight, where people who live in predominantly white neighborhood, first of all, they weren't allowed to sell their houses to anybody uh, black. And when that became illegal, when black people would move into these neighborhoods, they would, these white people would move out because they feel like it would devalue their properties. Um, and I know white people who are very socially aware and very racially conscious but they would not go say to north minneapolis to a predominantly black neighborhood to go shop or to go um or even drive through um but they're very socially conscious 
they would identify themselves as socially conscious and racially aware individuals. Um, do you have any stories about any like issue with housing and race that you've experienced or heard of? Uh, sure. Uh, it's it, it's kind of funny how, um, again, you know, here um, in America, you know, on applications it says equal opportunity, but yet still there is always an issue with racial classification. All right. So personally, I have not had an experience so far with looking for housing and and having any racial issues because um, for me, when, okay, so I was living in Brainerd and then when I moved to the cities, um, my first apartment, it was through a management company. So I deal directly with the management company, went look at the apartment. You know, the lady was nice or whatever the case may be. Um, same situation with my second apartment and same situation with the apartment that I'm living at. No, you know, it's all through a management company, you know, a, an organization. But from my history classes and looking at, you know, housing in in America, a lot of times when you hear black Americans speak about, you know, systemic racism, a lot of the times you have to look into the city infrastructure because one of the issues that we were looking at is how um, most cities will develop like a particular area. Like say, for example, like they're developing like highways and for some strange reason, the highways that they that they build to run through the city is always perfectly aligned to be built through a black neighborhood. It's an issue in, 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 say, for example, Atlanta, where now they're looking at how the city was planned with their roads and come to find out when the highways were being built in Atlanta, um, it was suggested that they built the highways through predominantly black neighborhoods, which will then displace these people from their houses. And to make matters worse, when they were planning these highways, it was found out that it will cause more traffic than help with the traffic issue. And they still went ahead with developing these highways through these predominantly black neighborhoods, which now in 2022, if you're driving through Atlanta during certain hours, the traffic is horrible. And now the city now is spending millions of dollars to correct these. And it's the same thing in New York. When you look at how the highways are structured, it's predominantly through black and Hispanic neighborhoods. So um, I think what a lot of people need to look into is that they, instead of turning a deaf ears to when black Americans, you know, talk about systemic racism, they really need to look deeper into what they're saying and really understand that, you know, laws and city planning really affects the african-american community and the only way and at, to, to be honest with you at this point in time with how modernized america is i doubt if a lot of these decisions in terms of city planning and zoning can be corrected you know i think the damage is already done and i think in order to move forward is to stop looking at neighborhoods now as you know predominantly white neighborhoods and you know the devaluation of housing and how many times we hear on the news where say for example like an interracial couple was on the news um, a few nights ago and they wanted to sell their house and the wife who is black 
got um evaluation from um from the house which she didn't agree with because you know for the neighborhood it was very low so she had her husband now use the same company that she called to value her house she removed all her pictures all the pictures of their children and everything and when you look when they came and value the house she got about two hundred thousand dollars more than what the same exact company initially quoted her that the, the property value just because you know she presented as an african-american they thought automatically that okay this house is of an inferior value irrespective of the neighborhood that it's in in comparison to the neighbors and i think that's something that they really need to look at yes yes i saw that story too and i it's just like i know these things exist but i was seeing it watching it on tv it's just mind-blowing that people think that way just because of the race the color of somebody's skin so let's move on to our final um topic uh we're gonna do this real quick uh the good old justice system oh my god <laughs> there's a saying that there's two justice system there's one for the whites and or everybody else and then it's one for black people and we see that time and time again with the stories that we've heard the videos that we've seen recently in our little um city of minneapolis we saw a couple of years ago we saw the brutal killing of mr george floyd and um yes i we all can agree that had he been a caucasian man he probably wouldn't have been treated that way and that goes to show how black people here in america are viewed by the police and how the justice system is unfair in a lot of times um to the black um man and woman and we saw we see this uh in the disparities in um arrests and convictions and lengthy sentences that are being doled out for the same crime um black people have get get a longer sentence and more punishment than their white counterparts that commit the same crime. Um, I want to read you a quote from Rebecca Lucero. From She's a human rights commissioner. And she says, race-based policing is unlawful and especially harms people of color and indigenous individuals. And obviously this is a truthful statement. A, um, a investigation was done in the Minneapolis Police Department and found that they stopped people of color overwhelmingly and they were doing other things like creating fake Facebook profile um, to go harass the police. Yes, harassing um, black people and people of color and a host of other things that are immoral and illegal for police to be doing. But I don't know if you have ever had a bad experience with cops here. I have. And I'll quickly share that. I have, um, there was a time I was biking home from work and I was literally biking to the bus stop because I was going to put my bicycle on the bus to get home. Um, I got pulled over on my bicycle uh, the first time by a police officer and he 
stopped me and he asked me um, where I was coming from, told him I was coming from work, where I was going, going home. Um, and he was like, do you know why I pulled you over? No, I don't. Oh, you need a bicycle light. I'm like, okay, sorry, I'll get a light. Following week, the very same time when I was leaving work, this I got pulled over at the same spot by the same cop. Where are you going? Um, I'm coming from work. I'm going to meet a friend at this point. I'm trying to catch the bus. And he asked for my ID. And I'm like, why do you need my ID? His response was, I want to see if you have a warrant out. Now, I'm riding a bicycle. I had a light on this time, which at the end, he told me that the light was inadequate and gave me a ticket for $90. But he pulled me over, asked for my ID, and said he's, the reason he's asking to see if I have a warrant out. Now, what about me look like would make him think that I could possibly have a warrant out? Huh? Yes, I knew right then and then this was a racist stop. And so I wasn't going to take it. So I went to the police department that he was, a, I guess, a member of. And I, I went to the sergeant. And I, as I was reporting to the sergeant, he then, the sergeant told me that it's best that I don't make a report. Because if I make a report and I, they, I found to lie in any of it, I would be in big trouble. So he's then discouraging me from um, making my report. Right. He's trying to intimidate you. Exactly. He's making a report. That, that's crazy. A police officer, right? A police officer would do that. And so eventually, well, I got a ticket for $95 for having a light that wasn't red enough. But in fact, he was upset and gave me the ticket because I was asking him, why are you pulling me over? for no good reason is because of my race and so he obviously he felt disrespected because i dared to talk to him like that um i was lucky that i only got a ticket and not exactly end up uh, in uh, you know what i mean exactly yes and this happened in minneapolis i would want to say maybe four years ago not too long ago um but have you had any experience I have not had any run-ins with the Minneapolis Police Department that's negative. I have been, I got pulled over once, and that's Halloween, dressed up. I told you this story already, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I was speeding. I didn't even realize that I was speeding, and, you know, he let me off with a warning. Um, My other run-in with the Minneapolis Police you know, it was winter and I got stuck and he stopped and tried to push my car out of the road or whatever the case may be and then call me a, a, a tow truck. But I mean, I guess my black experience in Minneapolis is completely different. But then again, I'm not out there like that anyways, because I'm just a work to home type of person. So it's like I don't have much interaction with the Minneapolis Police Department and you know, the whole George Floyd situation opened up a lot of um, eyes as to how unfair the Minneapolis Police Department is. You know, here I thought that I live in a very 
liberal city where everybody in my eyes is treated fairly based on what i see on an everyday basis but then again i live on a side of town where it's very very quiet you know what i'm saying the the, the epitome of suburbia so therefore no action goes on here so i can just imagine as a matter of fact i don't i don't even see a lot of police cars in my neighborhood so i can just imagine what north minneapolis looks like or south minneapolis or the black experience living in those neighborhoods you know what i'm saying but for me it's yeah it's pretty nonchalant over here everybody just go about their daily business on this side of town yes and obviously there's not all cops are bad um but we do have to weed the bad ones out because they they're not making it good for the good ones and they're not making it good for society they are actually a danger to society than they are any help so this uh discussion um about racial prejudice and biases in america in american culture is one that i feel like we'll be having for a long time in this country because there's still um there's still denial of the past and the history of this country and people are still holding on to these um, ideas and values that are not current or you know obviously with the times and and, and culturally acceptable but there is always going to be people like that but what I want you guys to, to understand is that a lot of times when black people and people of color are um, speaking out about these injustices and these biases and these prejudices and these racism it's not that they're trying to be perpetual victims it's because these things are happening and they've been screaming from the rooftop um, for for years and years and years and nobody has listened and I just want you guys to Give an eye, give an eye out. Look for these signs. Um, look for situations that w- happen or will come up that could be detrimental to people of color, and um, just be a good, upstanding citizen. Whenever you see something um, like that, you say something. You stand up for the the this little people, for the people who don't have a, a voice or power and nobody we're not asking you to be feel any guilt for what the past has been um, but also like help in making this country a better country and stamp out all these reg- racial prejudices and biases um, in America and with that we have come to the end of this segment for this episode of our podcast Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. And I hope I and Oniki were able to open your eyes, give you a different perspective, change your view on what you might have thought um, the culture here is in America. And I just want to say thank you for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful day. And be safe out there. Love your brother, love your sister. We're all in this together. And take care.